Uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, give thanks for your word, Lord. Lord, we choose as a company of people to submit to the authority of the Word of God. Father, your Word say that you exhort your Word even higher above any of your names. Lord, that's a staggering statement. And Lord, we choose to abide in you. And Father, I pray even as the Word has been shared, Lord, we don't want just to be informed. But Lord, we want to be transformed into the image of your Son. Lord, we bless you. Lord, you are a holy God in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, if you have your Bibles, can we open to 2 Samuel chapter 23? We will look at verses 13 to 16 today. The title of my message is called A Drink of Water. Let's read 13 to 16. During harvest time, three of 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in a stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. This is important. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistines' lane, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Keep your finger on these four verses. We will just chew and expound on them. And everything that we will learn this morning will be just from these four verses. And this is an amazing story. I kind of wish we have a movie about this. Um, a remarkable story about three mighty men and their breathtaking devotion to their king. Their breathtaking devotion to King David. And just let me just give you a quick context about this story. I'm a huge believer in context. I believe we need to know the background of the story to gleam its prophetic significance and its full application for us as a body of Christ. When I first read this passage, I thought, wow, it's another one of David's exploits with his men while on the run from Saul. Why? Because it sounded very familiar, am I right? But this account, if you take note, is not in 1 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 23 is one of the last few chapters in 2 Samuel. And David was giving a prophetic psalms and sharing his last words. It's like his deathbed speech. And he begins to recall his mighty men. And in the midst of it, in verse 14, this apparent random story pops up. As we come to the end of David's life, having just looked at his deathbed speech, the narrative goes on and looks at those who supported David, his mighty men. It almost seemed like God would not just do everything through David alone. It is more evident when you compare the other accounting of David's men in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 10. And it says, Now these are the chiefs of David's mighty men who gave him strong support in his kingdom together with all of of Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. So David's men play an important part and highlight many things for us that are encouraging as we think about our own involvement in the kingdom of God. Putting them here at the end after David's deathbed speech leaves us with the impression that God has done it through many, not just King David. So I began to check the timeline and the plot of this story in 2 Samuel chapter 23. And I realized that, hey, this was not when David was running away from Saul. We established that. So when did this story happen? This happened much later. This happened early on in David's career as king. He just became king and then this happened. This was the same war that was spoken of in 2 Samuel chapter 5 verse 17. And let's rewind the clock a bit. 
And we know that from 1 Samuel, it accounts that Saul was so intent on killing David. In fact, he spent a huge amount of of his kingship, huge amount of his resources and time trying to hunt down and destroy David. So David had to flee into the wilderness to become a fugitive in order to save his life. When he was out there, hundreds of people came to him, gathered around him, and these were broken people, rejected people. These were people that society didn't want. They were fugitives too. And out of these hundreds of people, while David was a fugitive in the wilderness, he chose between 30 to 40 elite hand-picked warrior companions. They defended their leader until Saul died, and then the people made David the king. Then these hand-picked mighty men all became leaders in David's administration and the military. They became David's mighty men. And the Hebrew word for this is giborin. And now we come to this story from verse 13 onwards. The context has been given. So just within a few months after David was crowned king, the Philistines, the arch rivals of the Israelites, decided that they would invade Israel and try to drive this new king out. As soon as David became king, the Philistines came and attacked because they were afraid that David would establish a stronger kingdom than Saul ever did. And they were right. Why? Because this was God's anointed. It was demonically motivated to remove God's chosen one. And Pastor Yang used to say this, that they tried to kill him off. The hordes of hell were driving this entire movement. And here's what we know. First of all, the Philistines were encamped in the valley of Rephaim, just a few miles southwest of Jerusalem. That means they had already taken over Bethlehem itself. That was now the headquarters. A Philistine presence in the valley of Rephaim and Bethlehem suggests a significant incursion right into Israelites' territory. They were right almost at the heart of Israel. They were deep in Hebrew land, and some scholars said that David had to leave Jerusalem due to the assault by the Philistines. Bethlehem, of course, we all know this was David's hometown, his birthplace, but they had gone all the way to the heart of Israel. They were just a few miles away from Jerusalem. And we can read in 1 Chronicles chapter 11 and 2 Samuel chapter 5 that David had just taken Jerusalem from the Jebusites. He finally got Jerusalem which was to be remembered for generations and ages. He made it into the city of David, the city of Zion. And now, and now, this happened. Imagine your birthplace, your hometown is right at enemy's territory. We are told David, as a result, had to flee, and he set up his stronghold in a cave. And this shows how weak the nation of Israel was. This shows the Philistines had essentially run David out into the wilderness again. And where was he again? He was at the cave of Abdullah. So let's look at the significance of this cave. Those of us from Cornerstone, we have definitely heard stories, messages, articles about this cave. But let me just give you a quick recap. We first encountered the cave of Abdullah in 1 Samuel chapter 22. As David was fleeing from Saul, who was trying to kill him, he sought refuge in that cave, and then he sought refuge among the Philistines in Gath. And something crazy happened. And this was what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 10 to 14. And the scripture says, And the servants of Achish, who was the king, said to him, Is this not David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him with dancers? That Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. This song really sabo David <laughs> multiple times, okay? And David took this 
words to heart and he was much afraid of Akish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in, the, in his hands and make marks on the doors of the gate and let his saliva, his peter, run down his beard. And David, realizing now that this was no longer a safe place for him, he left Gath and escaped to the same cave, escaped back to the cave of Adullam. And Adullam is roughly 20 miles southwest from Jerusalem in the foothills of Judah, about 10 miles southeast of Philistine's town of Gath. And when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were distressed, in debt, discontented, or rejected gathered around him, and he became their commander. And they grew, and they went through trials together, and they became his mighty men. And right now, his mighty men once again in this story, from verse 13 onwards, gathered around their master in the same cave. And in verse 13, it says that a whole assault happened during harvest time. And this point is important. That means the whole nation of Israel were on the verge of a disaster. Because if the Philistines came in and planted the harvest, it would mean that part of Israel would be out of food, the annual food supply, and things were, look, were looking terrible in a terrible shape. So let me just paint this picture to you once again so you understand what's happening to David and his kingdom right now. David had just become king and he had been run out of his own capital. He was out in the wilderness again as a king. And the Philistines were in the heart of Israel. His people were at risk of starving. So things were looking really dark. The reason why I say all this to you so that you have to understand all of that if you're going to understand what he says in verse 15. Because it says that David longed for water. And he said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. But let me tell you this, that this story is not about water. David was not physically thirsty for a drink. Why? Because he was back in the cave of Abdullah. He had been in a cave multiple times before, for years while on the run from Saul. And scholars, biblical leaders were saying that this was a well-supplied place. There was lots of water with no trouble. So he couldn't have been physically thirsty. So what was this entire account about? It is a story about loss and reassured promises. His wrestling not physically with physical thirst, but he's wrestling spiritually with the promises of God. He wanted a taste of a reminder of what was promised. David had all of these incredible promises and prophecies of his kingdom and his kingship. But before he had virtually taken the throne, where is he right now? He's back in the same cave. Can you, can you imagine being back in the same cave after being anointed king. You thought you really had your breakthrough. You passed the famous zigzag test. You strengthened yourself in the Lord. King Saul is dead. You thought you already passed the main obstacle. You even recovered the kingly city of Jerusalem. You were just about to have rest in your throne to show your mantle, to prove to your people and your subjects your worth as king. They anointed you, they, they appointed you. In their eyes, you were God's chosen one. And finally, after years of waiting and hoping, you were finally seated on the throne. But just like that, everything gets taken away again. David's a fugitive again. And what kind of a king can't even drink water from his hometown well? What kind of a king, once coronated, would cause his own people to starve because he can't even protect them? 
because the harvest by the people for the people will be plundered by the enemy. What kind of king? It's a joke of a king, a loser of a king. Can you imagine the anguish and pain in David's heart and mind? He was really struggling here, his heart, his emotions, his mind is attacked. God promised that he would be with David. God promised that he would be the deliverer and the ruler of Israel. God promised that he would set David up and his line would be a very important line of descendants. And this line will fulfill some great destiny in world history. All these promises were given, they were there. God said, I'll be with you, I'll do all that. And here's David. After all that, that he's so weak, that he can't drink a water from his own hometown. It seems that his defeat is absolutely inevitable. He's really saying, will I really be able to drink from that well again? Will I really be established firmly as king? Will I ever be able to defeat the Philistines? Is God really with me? He's longing for lost assurance. He had lost his assurance that God's promises could be trusted that God was for him. What he was essentially saying is, the promises of God is lost to me. I'm losing hope. But what happened? The three mighty men who walked with him for years, who understood the call of God in his life, who understood and remembered the promises that were spoken over David and Israel, overheard this and said, no, it is not. No. no, it is not. Not in our watch. It would have been remarkable enough if the man had like, done some stealthy black ops uh, mission and secretly managed to get the water back to David. But the scripture says in verse 16, if you read, it says they broke through. Okay, this language suggests a violent and forceful entry into the town. This, this was not a secret, all right? That means it was so public, so open, so loud, so violent that all the entire army, both from Philistine and, 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 and Israel, heard about it. The recklessness is alarming, but it speaks volumes of the devotion that David's men had to their master. This action showed that they would do anything for him. There are a few moments in David's life that show us the love that he inspired in his followers more powerful, more powerfully than this one. Does God enable these mighty warriors in one of the greatest commandos feats ever just to bring back a skin of water for David? So what's the significance of this? David and the entire army gets energized. If three men full of the Spirit of God can do this, what about an entire army? Hope. Lost hope gets found and renewed again. God in His grace allows David to re be reminded that His promises are true and can be trusted. Sometimes God will bring trusted people in our paths to demonstrate acts of loyalty and courage to remind us that He is faithful. Amen? David, overwhelmed by this, could not drink it. He poured it out as a drink offering. Why? To remind himself and his men that this act of bravery was not due to their humanistic courage. It was not due to his worthiness as a king, but due to the grace and the faithfulness and the power of Yahweh. Bill Johnson once said this, that through difficulty, the promised land awaits. Good news is that the promised land is for all of us. The bad news is that God will give it to us little by little. In Exodus, the children of Israel came out of Egypt and God said, there are enemies before you, but I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land becomes desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. 
the beasts and the enemies will terrify you if you get it all at once. They wouldn't have the maturity to inherit their inheritance all at once. God sometimes is building our internal world so that we can be mature enough to manage what God has given for His glory. Amen? I just want to give you three points to this story. First point, sometimes we need to be reminded on the promises of God. Hear me on this. All of us at one point in our lives need a drink from the wells of Bethlehem to remind us that God's promises are true. What do I mean by this? I mean that some of us have promises and prophecies and it seemed like we reached a place of victory of breakthrough. It seemed like we really persevered so hard. We went for a lot of auto calls. We really reached the place of breakthrough. But where do we find ourselves again? We find ourselves back in the same old cave. And you begin to wonder, haven't I passed this test? Why am I back in the cave of Abdullah? And you begin to cry out to the Lord, can I have a taste of the promises you have given to me? I need a reminder. And I want to tell you this morning with all the conviction, the love and hope in my heart, that the Lord will remind you. When you cry out to the Lord, He will answer. It might look different than what you expect, but I promise He is near, He's close, and He will answer. Can I share a personal account? Uh, this happened in November 2019. Uh, Robbie Dawkins was here. You, you remember him? And uh, on that particular day, last minute, I was uh, invited to have lunch with him with Pastor Kev, Pastor Lip, and Pastor Tim. I was so excited because, well, I'll get to makan with uh, Robbie Dawkins. So we went to I want to the nice stick place. I ordered a bit stick and uh, well, we were just eating. But he was sharing stories, stories that he could not share on the pulpit because uh, very sensitive. He was sharing about um, his exploits uh, in the Middle East and, and how he was protected by divine forces. And I could not eat my food. I was just sitting at the edge on my seat. I'm so excited. I don't want to hear his stories. And then suddenly, he stopped talking. He looked at me and he asked, do you have a son, Elijah? I thought, wow, Lailiao. Prophecy. <laughs> I was so excited. I said, yes, I have a firstborn son. And then he began to prophesy over him that he, oh, he's going to be a great leader, that God's hand is over him, that even if one day, eventually, he encounters some issues, always remember that God has a call of God in his life. And then he began to say that um, you encountered some issues in the past, but let me tell you this, that God has a special call of God in his life. And then I was like, wow. Then after that, he began to ask me a second question. He said, um, um, are your in-laws, are your wife's parents um, close to you? I said, yes. And then he gave me another prophetic word. He said, oh, the winds of peace are coming to them. They encountered some issues, but God is watching over them. It seems like a very simple word. But he did not know that 2019 was one of the hardest moments of my life. Um, in, in our pregnancy with our first um, child, um, towards the last few weeks, um, the doctor said that uh, he was not growing well, so we were praying, contending, and praise the Lord, everything turned out fine, turned out well, like he was born all right. Um, but the second day after he was born, we were in the hospital, me and my wife, just celebrating the birth of this uh, child promise when my in-laws came to the hospital room. And my, my, my father-in-law came and he broke the news. He said, hey, I just want to share with you. Second day after my wife gave birth, he said, um, I have fourth stage cancer. And just like that, um, in the place of life and potential death, we have to grasp with all these emotions, okay? 
Um, and, and after a few months, he went for this op. After a few months, doctor found another type of cancer which is not related. So within that one year, we went through all this, okay? Um, and, and, and Robbie Dawkins didn't know that. And he spent four minutes just prophesying, very simple. But let me tell you this, okay? That in the four minutes, I felt the wells of Bethlehem washing through my heart. It's like... He didn't know what I was going through. I was a zone leader, cell leader, pastoral stuff. I had to be strong, supporting my wife. So I said all the right things. God is in control. God is sovereign. But he didn't know. But at the back of my mind for months, I keep wondering, why did these things happen? God, didn't you have a word for our family? Didn't you say inheritance and legacy is ours? But why did this thing happen? I was not bitter. No. I was not bitter, but I was just processing my feelings and my thoughts before the Lord. And just like that, just four minutes in the middle of lunch, a nice thick lunch, while he boldly listened to the voice of God, spoke those words, I felt the waters of Bethlehem flowing into my heart and I felt courage, courage again. Amen. Amen. I just want to say to all of you today that you will receive a drink from the wells. You will be reminded. It might look different from how you might envision it, but it will come. It might come through a sermon. It might come through your quiet time with the scriptures. It might be a song. It might be a prophetic word. It might be a prophetic drawing. But let me tell you this day that it will come to you. And for David, I believe he had the lifestyle of processing his doubts, his struggles, his pain, and his hopes before the Lord. The Psalms is full of it. If you read the Psalms for the first time, you will think, wow, this guy keeps changing his mind. One day, it's like, I bless you at all times. The next verse is, where are you, Yahweh? I honor you, Lord. Next is the enemies all around me. Sometimes you think like, can't you make up your mind? Do you have some mental issues? But let me tell you this, he's just completely honest before his Lord. And I want to encourage you this. Before you share with someone else, before you share your issues with someone else, just process it before the Lord. God is never stumbled when you are too honest before him. God is never stumbled by your honesty. Amen. Second point I want to share with you, that God can use us to change the atmosphere around us. Some of us, perhaps we've been receiving the, wall, the, the waters of the wells of Bethlehem all our life, okay? Maybe you're so blessed, okay? But let me tell you this, okay? That you need to be the three mighty men that someone else needs. I'm talking about an act of courage. Three men with courage brought a change in atmosphere and scripture shows that they eventually defeated the enemy. Do you know what happens to an army who has been hiding when they see three men filled with the Spirit of God going through the enemy's lines to bring hope? What a supernatural act of courage does. And we are told eventually that the children of Israel did win the battle. The rest of the army must have heard about this because of this incident. We have the story of Belperazim, one of the greatest military victories in the life of David. And we all know this famous story. Belperazim means the Lord breaks through. Because three mighty men broke through. The entire army went through and the Lord broke through for them. And there's another story in scripture, very, very interesting, and involved David's best friend. David has a neck and a reputation of influencing and gathering courageous people, amen? If you want to be courageous, stop hanging around whiny people. Stop hanging around people who always complain, okay? Because you realize when he is around these people, they get influenced by his boldness and his courage. And we are reminded about what Jonathan did. 
the bosom friend of David, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they climb up the hill and they attack the enemy. And those Israelites who were hiding in fear and wearing the armor and the garments of the enemy began to tear them off. Can you imagine they were wearing the enemy's garments because they wanted to hide and, be, and look like the enemy. But when they heard this supernatural act of courage, they began to tear off the clothing and run with Jonathan. Amen. Can I say this to you, that your act of courage prophesies to someone who is in need of a reminder that God is faithful and God does not forget His promises. Your courage can draw people out of fear and complacency and into their destiny. Sometimes you just have to not worry about the opinions of people and obey the drawing of the Spirit and do something different. And can I say to you that sometimes we think it looks something big, that we need to do something flashy or big or earth-breaking. And sometimes God will call you to do that. But a lot of times, it's an obedience to walk up to someone and bring a message of hope, to give a prophetic word, to do something you have never done before. Some of you are currently studying in the School of Prophets. After our first breakout room, my handphone keep ringing because many people were giving testimony. Oh, this is my first time doing this. I'm so excited. Not, not only that I receive, they were not excited over the prophecies they received. They were excited because they were able to bring life to someone else. And that's amazing, alright? So do not underestimate the impact your drink of water can do for someone else. And you may not know it at that time, but you could be giving someone a drink from the wells of Bethlehem. Amen? Last point, very quickly, I'm going to end. A person in love responds differently. In verse 15, it says, David longed for water and he said, Oh, that someone will get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. And verse 16, So the three mighty men broke through the Philistines' lines. I want to make this statement that a person in love does not wait for an order. I hope you see this. David did not give a command. David did not command these guys to go get a drink. His words were not meant literally. He was expressing a deep longing. And he doesn't say that David commanded them, get me water, and they say, okay, boss, okay, chief. No, that's not what happened. Not only didn't he command it, but he didn't suggest it. It's nothing like that. He was just sighing. His wish was their command. They loved him so much that his wish was their command. So my question today for all of us is, can we come to the place where our relationship with our Lord becomes like this? Do you want to know the difference between a religious churchgoer who comes to God saying, what do I have to do in order to go to heaven and to get everything I want? Just give me the requirements, just tell me. And a person who has been changed by the beauty of grace, who has seen what Jesus has done for them. Here's the difference. Religious people treat God like Santa Claus. I have been a good person, now you have to give me my gifts. I obey so that I can receive. People whose hearts have been touched by grace can truly understand the gospel, treat God like somebody they are falling in love with. When you are falling in love with someone, you don't wait for an order. You don't do, any, you, you don't do something just to make them do something for you. You just look for size. You look for longings, you look for expressions, you just look for wishes. If you see them eat a cake and they're like, oh, I love it. The next week, you buy the whole cake. If you see them, they like this song. The next week, you buy Spotify Family Premium. If they like this YouTube channel, you just get YouTube channel and you don't even need to hear them express in words what they want. 
And what I love so much about this in verse 15, it says, David longed. And then in verse 16, it says, they broke through. David longed, so they broke through. He didn't command, he just longed and they broke through. Isn't that amazing? I encounter in my, in my years as shepherds, a lot of questions. People keep asking, if I make this decision, if I go down this path, can I still go to heaven? I'm like, oh, come on. If you are one of those persons, I want to tell you that, aren't you tired of always being in that place of thinking, I just want to do what I want, but I just want to go to heaven. Aren't you tired of it? Can't we be people who love the Lord, who knows His heart, who do radical exploits for Him because we love Him? I mean, can't we just stop thinking like, oh, I just want to live my life, but, but, but I'm scared of the fires of hell. But I just want to cruise in this life, eventually make it to heaven. But can we come to a place like David's three mighty men? They knew their master's heart. They heard his longing and they broke through. Lovers break through. Sons and daughters who know their father's heart break through. Amen. Can we just stand to our feet? Come to a close. Our desires as pastors and shepherds is not just for you to make it to heaven. It's for you to know the Father's heart, what He has called you to do, and as disciples to break through for His glory. Lovers always break through. Lovers always break through. I don't want to speak to some of you today. I know we can't have an altar call but you are in that place, you feel that you have passed multiple tests. God has given you multiple words and you felt you were in a good place, but suddenly you find yourself back in the same cave and you're saying, Lord, I just want a drink of the wells of Bethlehem. Can I say to you, perhaps this message is that water for you. It's to remind you strongly that God does not forget His promises and He will make a way. If you are that person, just lift up your hands. I want to pray for you. Father, we come before you, Lord, as people. Lord, we want to be known as lovers of you. Lord, we want to know as people who fear the Lord, who know you, who are strong and do great exploits. And Father, I pray for those who need a refreshing, a reminder of the wells of Bethlehem, a reminder of your promises, your prophecies, over their life. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that within this month they will receive something, Lord. Father, I pray for such a refreshing of hearts, Lord. Lord, I pray we speak life to dead dreams and hopes in the name of Jesus, Lord. Father, I pray for those who are praying for their sons and daughters to come home for the prodigal son. Lord, I pray you bring them home in the name of Jesus, Lord. Father, I pray for those who are praying and contending for victory over their personal life. Lord, I pray you give them breakthrough right now in the name of Jesus. And Father, we lift up our hands, Lord. We ask, Lord, let us never be lukewarm. Lord, you always say if we are lukewarm, you will spit us out of your mouth, Lord. We, we do not want to be those company of people. Let us be people who truly know you and love you, Lord. That we come to a place of discerning your heart a place of intimacy that we draw so close to you and we choose to draw close to you not because you are useful but because you are worthy. Not because of the gifts you can give us but because you are altogether beautiful to our eyes, Lord. We bless you. We honour you. 
And all God's people say, Amen. Let's give God a praise offering, Amen. Amen. Let's uh, stand for the benediction. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord makes His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and grant you His shalom. The blessings of God the Father, the strength and grace of Christ the Son and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit shall be with you now and forevermore. And our God's people say, Amen. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.